I think this parable bothers me more than other ones because I see myself more as the rich man than I do as Lazarus. Like, way more. Simply because I'm an American. We have so much compared to the rest of the world. It's crazy to think of the fact, you guys, that you and I have more clothes than 75% of the world. That's incredible. We have more shoes. I remember when, when I was down in Guatemala, I took the, the high school kids down there for a trip, and one of the kids, he got done working, and he had noticed that the, the father, all of them, the whole family, but especially the father of the house, had no shoes on. And he asked me, he said, why don't you wear shoes? And he says, because I don't own any. And so one of the high school kids said, Father, can I give him my shoes? And I'm like, well, how are you going to get back? And he's like, this big linebacker kid was going to carry him the whole way back. And he had another pair of shoes back where we were staying. So I said, yeah, sure. So he gave him his shoes, and the man started to cry. Grown man, father of four or five kids. And they said, Father, why is he crying? And the man explained to me, this was the first pair of shoes he had ever owned. Grown man, first pair of shoes he had ever owned. I also had the high school kids, once we came back from Guatemala, I, would, I, I had an assignment. And this assignment would be good for all of you too. Go home and count how many shoes you have. Just shoes. I'm talking from boots to athletic shoes to whatever. Anything that goes on your feet, count it. Then count how many tops you have. How many pairs of pants. Dress pants, suits, jeans, shorts. Count it all just to see how much you really have. But that's America. Or the fact that you and I have more food in our fridge than the average person in Africa sees in a week. When we're hungry, we just go to the pantry and say, what am I going to eat today? There's so many options, I just don't know what I'm going to eat. We easily live as sumptuously as the rich man. Think about this. I was thinking about this. How pathetic is this? You know, in, in our given liturgical year, we have two days. The church tells us we have to fast. Do you know what those two days are? What are they? Ash Wednesday? Good Friday. Do you know what the rule is for the fast that day? I'm going to tell you what our rule is because it's just too much for some people. I couldn't possibly fast. God forbid. Here is the rule. You can have one full meal as well as two small, smaller meals that can't together equal the size of the full meal. You want me to translate that for you? You can have three meals a day. On our fasting, just try to, try to hold back a little bit on two of them. You know where you have eggs, sausage, bacon, hash browns, and toast? Just don't have the toast. <laughs> do you think you can do that? Just the toast. How sad is that? You guys, our, our, fat, our days when we're supposed to fast... We eat more than most of the people eat on a regular day. 
We are way more like the rich man than we are Lazarus. And remember, the rich man doesn't go to hell. And it is hell. Don't try to kid yourself like, oh, he's in purgatory. No, he's in hell. It's very clear. He says, Abraham says, there's a chasm between us. You can't get to our side and we can't get to your side. That's permanence. That ain't purgatory. He's in hell. And the reason he's in hell is not because he's rich. Lots of rich people are good people. It's because he doesn't care. It was too much for him to simply care a little bit outside of his own life. It says that he doesn't even notice Lazarus. Could you imagine in your homes there was a dying man on your doorstep? And you just stepped over him each morning you went to work. He made sure he cared for himself. He has plenty for himself. But anybody else, forget about it. Kind of reminds me of modern day Christians in some aspect. You know, we sit in our beautiful homes on our big couches, well fed, nice clothes. If you listen to the prophet Amos, I don't know if you heard that. That first reading, listen to what he says. He says, Woe to you, the complacent of Zion, lying on your beds of ivory, stretched out comfortably on your couches. You eat sumptuously and drink fine wine, yet you care nothing for the collapse of Joseph. You want me to modernize that for you? Modern translation. Woe to you, complacent Americans, lying on your tempurpedic beds, stretched comfortably on your leather couches, and eating sumptuous steak, drinking cold Budweiser. And yet, you forget about my people who are in need. You know, Lazarus takes a lot of forms. He's not just a sick person covered in sores. He's not just a poor person, physically poor. There are many types of sicknesses, many types of poverties. So just you sit back and be like, well, I, I, you know, I would never step over a sick poor man. What about everybody in your life who's sick? Many different times of sicknesses and poorness. I don't think we miss Lazarus on purpose, for the record. I, don't, I believe in the goodness of humanity. I think most people miss him for two reasons. Number one, we miss Lazarus because we're too busy to notice. We got too much. We're always moving. I mean, I don't know about you, but rest for me means collapse. Collapse. So I, why do we do this to ourselves? We say yes to so many things. I had a past student call me this last week. He said, Father, they just finished their house. He's got a, a baby. They just got married a couple years ago. And he's like, we want to have you over to bless the house. I'm like, great. They're like, when can you come? And I'm like, um, how about November 4th? They're like, what? And I'm like, I'm serious. November 4th is the first free evening I have. That's nuts. Why are we doing that? If we keep saying, and I'm with you, I do it. If we keep saying yes to good things, we'll never be able to say yes to the great things. Because we have too much going on. The analogy that popped into my head as I was praying over this is buffet lines. You guys remember the Royal Fork? You remember? I think they called it the Royal Trough. The Royal Fork was my grandma's favorite restaurant, and she robbed that place blind. In good conscience. I mean, I, would, I remember she would go up and she, she'd get fried chicken, and she'd roll it up in napkins and be putting it into her purse. And I'm like, Grandma, you can't do that. And she's like, it is an all-you-can-eat buffet. And I paid for all I could eat. 
But if you notice it, I remember at the Royal Fork because grandma would take us there every time she came to town. We'd go to the Royal Fork and then she'd feed us for like a week after that from her purse. <laughs> but every time I was there, I remember going through it. I'd be like, you get too much? You, I do this at weddings too. You start, you're like, oh my gosh, it's too much. And then the good stuff is always at the end. And so we miss it because we're so, we have so much. We fill up so quickly. And the best stuff is all around us and we just don't see it. A lot of it is right before our eyes. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I read it about five years ago. There was this man, he went down into the, uh, Washington DC, he was down in the subway. And he was, he, he pulled out, he had a violin, he pulled out his violin, left his case out and he was playing violin. He played six intricate pieces by Johann Sebastian Bach. He played for about 40 minutes. During that time, it's estimated tens of thousands of people walked past him. A few stopped and listened. Some threw money in his case. At the end of 40 minutes, he put his violin away and walked away with $32. What nobody knew was is that man was Joshua Bell, who was one of the finest violinists in the world. He played six of the most intricate pieces ever composed for violin, and he played them on a Stradivarius violin estimated at $3.5 million. Nobody noticed. Nobody cared. Just keep busy. Two days before his uh, little concert in the subway, he sold out in Boston at $300 a seat. Do we just walk past stuff without even noticing it? Because that's what the rich man does. You know, maybe you do it to your wife who's in need or suffering. Maybe you do it to your kids. Maybe you do it to your husband. I don't know. But you do it in the name of busyness, providing, money, whatever. All the while people are suffering. So I'm encouraging you this week, slow down. Look around so that you don't miss the best things. Second reason we miss Lazarus, we don't know what it's like to be Lazarus. So we don't care. We dismiss him. I don't know about you guys, but I got I to gotta check myself every time I come to the off-ramp of State Street in Bismarck. And there's those people holding those signs. Internally, I don't know what happens in you. Internally, I'm like, get a job. You're young enough to get a job. Father, they're, they're panhandling out there. They're scamming us. Do you know what it's like to be like that? Have you ever been homeless? Have you ever been poor? Like really poor? Where you, need, you didn't know where food was coming from. I remember that when we were younger. We had a great place south of, up by University of Mary. 100 acres, new farm, or new, new house. And all of a sudden, my dad got laid off. And we had no money. And we were bankrupt. And I remember like mom and dad talking about like it was where are we gonna get food, let alone live? That changes you, man. That changes you deeply. I remember when I was in seminary, I was over in Rome and we had the San Gregorio was the name of the missionaries of charity. You know who the missionaries of charity are? Those Mother Teresa's nuns? We worked there as seminarians, and one day they brought in a man who had no arms and no legs. They had found him in the street, and they told us seminarians to bathe him. 
I almost puked every minute of doing that. The smell was so awful. And yet the whole time I'm washing this man, he's smiling at me. That does something to your heart. I don't ever want to be there. And so the next time you pull off on those streets and you see those men, maybe sit back and say, like, what if that was me? How would I want people to look at me? What would I want people to think about me? And how would I want people to treat me? That's Lazarus. I really had no idea the pain and suffering people go through when they lose loved ones until I lost one. I had funerals here all the time and I would talk to the families and I'd say, I offer you my condolences. What does that mean? I had no idea what that meant until I lost my mom. And now I know very clearly what it means. When you experience pain and suffering and loss, you know what it's like and you can enter into people's pain, suffering, and loss. That we have so much in this country. Some of us have never been poor. Even the rich man today. You know what? There's, there's, there, my guess is that he was never poor. And you know why I think that? Because there is a little detail in this story. When the rich man says, Oh, but Father Abraham, send Lazarus to me to dip his finger in cold water and cool my tongue. All command form verbs. This man from hell still sees Lazarus as at best a servant. He still can't see him as a human. And yet how many times do you and I look at people and judge them less than us? But again, the rich man is not sent there because he's rich. He's not sent there because he has servants. He's sent there because he doesn't care and he doesn't help. So what can you do this week? I'll give you three things. Number one, slow down. Look around you for people who are suffering, people that struggle. Even if you just listen to them. I remember when we were in Rome, we had the gypsies all the time. I didn't give any money to the gypsies, but I would always talk to them. And they would always thank me for that. And I said, yeah, but I didn't give you anything. They said, you gave us more than you know. You treated us like we were human. And nobody does that in this city. Maybe just listening to somebody. Second, put yourself in the position of someone who is poor when you see them. And ask yourself, how would I want to be treated? If I was broke holding a sign, how would I want people to look at me? Think about me. And third, if you need somewhere to help, help here. We have a lot of needs in this parish. In the last two weeks, I've been asking people to step forward. We had about five people step forward to give some pretty sizable donations. But they gave them, they wanted them to be matching gifts so that you would help too. And we, gave, we were given 90000 If we can match that, we'll have 180000 I had a guy at the 4 p.m. He said, why the heck do we need $180,000? I'm going to give you two numbers. Our budget is $1.7 million. I don't know if you knew that. This parish is $1.7 million between the school here, everything. Our collections are six to 700000 That's not even half. So we have to make up that money through a variety of different fundraising events. So yeah, I do need another $180,000. That's just the budget. Our second floor bathroom over at the school blew up this week. I don't know if you knew that. Happy day. <clears throat> that was 10 grand, and we have three more of them <clears throat> that still need to be fixed. 
The rectory hasn't been touched in decades. There's a lot to do. Not to mention the outreach. You know how many people come into our office each week asking for stuff? I want to help. I want to do more. And I want to keep this mission going, but I need your help. There's much to do, and we need a lot of resources to do it. So I'm just asking, just consider giving a little more, caring a little more, loving a little more, and join those who have already stepped forward to help us to reach our goal. Don't make the mistake the rich man made when he missed the opportunity to help. We have been given so much in this country. And as Jesus himself said, to whom much is given, much is expected.